Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. Perfect. 35, 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Red Cup Auburn podcast. I'm joined here, as always, with my co-host, Wheeler. And today... We are going to be going over the train wreck that was the Auburn versus Georgia game on Saturday. Uh, we're going to be answering a lot of questions that a bunch of followers had. Uh, we're going to give a brief little recruiting update, but that's kind of what the what the vibe is for podcast today. So, Wheeler, what were your initial thoughts about the game? Noble, my initial thoughts versus my thoughts today are thankfully different. Uh, I'm glad that we did not do the podcast on Saturday night because I think it would have just depressed everyone that listens even more. Um, I think that looking back on the game now, you know, having a little bit of time to digest it, um, look at some other teams around the league, I'm not feeling as horrible. However, as I pulled up, you know, the stats and stuff of the game, uh, and I looked back over it. it, it just washed over me again about how terrible Saturday night was. I mean, it was truly a miserable performance. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It was just, I mean, we just got absolutely manhandled on every aspect of the game. It was one of the worst performances I can remember simply because, like, you know, if you look back at some of the, the terrible games, like Minnesota last year, at least there were some, bright like, I mean, we scored 24 points in that game. I mean, there were some things where you could be like, okay, there were some good plays. But on Saturday, it was just bad, bad, bad football. So, uh, a quick little look at the stats. Uh, Bo Nix went 21 of 40, 177 yards for a staggering average of 4.4 yards per completion. And one interception had a QBR of 56. Mm. Uh Tank Bigsby was pretty much the only bright spot of the night. His rushing averages weren't as good. He only had he had eight carries for 31 yards. Uh, that's around four four yards average per carry. Uh, but he was also the leading receiver on the night with seven catches for 68 yards, and he averaged 10 yards per catch. So that was good. You know, he showed he showed a good amount of versatility with uh, you know that he can run the football well and uh, catch out of the backfield. So. Tank Bixby, in my opinion, was really the only bright spot from uh, from Saturday uh, from an offensive perspective. Yeah, Tank was definitely a bright spot. Um, I thought he played his tail off. Um, he never quit on the game. He was always giving a great effort. And he's pretty electric when he has the ball. Um, mm-hmm. I know he didn't break off any big chunks this week. Um, but, man, he was really close on several plays. And so I think he's just going to continue to get better. And you think about it, he did all of this against the best defense in the country. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is his second game of college football, and he leads an SEC team in rushing and in receiving. Um, that's really impressive. It it almost makes me wonder, you know, what what did they see in practice in fall camp that made them say DJ Williams and Sean Chivers give us a better chance to win a football game than Tank? You know, like after seeing him play, after seeing the way that he can catch, he had several acrobatic catches that were just ridiculous. Um, the way he does kick returns. Everything he does, he I mean, he just he plays so much better, I feel like, than all of the other running backs. I I wanna know what did they see that makes them think, yeah, this is our third guy, you know? Yeah, and uh a thing that I noticed which I thought was interesting, a couple of the times, really the only time DJ Williams was in the game, I feel like we motioned him out and went with a five wide set which was a look that we haven't really seen, I mean, in a long time with a running back, you know, going that far out. So I don't really know what was going on there. But I do agree, you know, with, with how Tank played, you can't really help but wonder how was it so, so close with everybody. But uh, for those wondering, you know, Sean Shivers, uh, they, they said that he was, he was injured last week in practice, and that's why he didn't really play a whole lot. Um, I think that it's the kind of thing that he maybe, you know, he maybe would have played if it was a close game and we really needed him to play. But, I mean, I, I don't really know everything about that whole situation. Mark Anthony Richards did not get in the game. Um, from what I've heard about that, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing where he, he needs to learn the offense. That's what, that's what Malzahn said in his postgame interview. He said that uh, Mark Anthony Richards just needs to spend a little bit more time getting the offense down pat uh, so that he can come in and know what he has, what his assignment is on every play. But uh, like you said, with the acrobatic catches that Tank was making, it was it was refreshing to see because, you know, last year it seemed like every time we would pass it to pass it to Booby out of the backfield, he would he would drop it, you know. I feel like he would catch the occasional screen, but whenever it would be – Bo kind of just going backyard football, running around from the defense, and he just flips it to him. I feel like Booby always dropped it, where Tank would catch it and, you know, make something out of it. So I definitely think that Tank was a bright spot. One of the only other potential bright spots of the game on the defensive side, I thought Jamie and Sherwood played a fantastic game. He was the leading tackler. He had 14 total tackles, one tackle for a loss, and two pass deflections. Obviously, the defense didn't play very well last night, but I thought that uh, Sherwood played really well. And on the the drive where Georgia kicked their first field goal, I believe, they should have scored a touchdown. Uh, but Sherwood made a really athletic play, diving to bat the ball away on third and goal. So, made a touchdown-saving play. So, I thought Sherwood played uh, pretty well. Yeah, I think Sherwood was one of the better DBs out there, um, especially in run support. But – I mean, that kind of just shows you what kind of a game it was where mm-hmm. Georgia – I mean, how many passes? Let's see, Georgia threw 28 passes and our safety was still our leading tackler. Like, that just and showed our... the, the running backs were just gashing through the line. If your safety is your leading tackler and they throw the ball less than 30 times in a 2020 football game, I mean, seriously? Yeah, I, I mean, Jamin had a great game. Um, that pass deflection that he had – Really great play. Um, Roger McCreary, I think he played a pretty good game. He got uh, beat on that touchdown pass, and everybody's going to remember that. But, I mean, he held um, George Pickens to two receptions for 26 yards. 
So, yeah. I mean, if you want to complain about that one play, I, I'm fine with the guy getting, you know, locking down their – Yeah. For, for two catches. Um, and then I think we see where the injuries really caught up with Auburn. Um, Definitely. We, the injuries and then Smoke getting ejected. Um, I think Smoke getting ejected, it didn't necessarily affect coverage in the man who was going to be covering Kyrus Jackson because uh, Smoke would not be the guy covering him. But the injuries, I mean, th- that really – I mean, having uh, Jalen Simpson out was really big. Uh, and then having Domeo out with an injury – um, it put Auburn in a vulnerable position and had the DBs honestly just getting cooked by uh, Jackson all night long. But, I mean, I agree. You, if you're Kevin Steele, you can't put this receiver, you know, you can't put a DB that's getting beat by this guy to go against George Pickens because if you can't guard somebody less talented, you don't put him on somebody more talented. So it was just a really tough night for the Auburn DBs. Um, hopefully – uh, there will be some healing this week, and some of the DBs will be back. Um, it looked like uh, Jalen Simpson hurt his hamstring, though, in the Kentucky game. And hamstrings are kind of a tricky thing. Um, there's three grades of strains you can have on a hamstring. Uh, if it's a grade three, I mean, he's out for a good five to six weeks, most likely. If it's a grade one, he might be able to come back next week, maybe. But DB is also a position where you can't really go out there with a bum hamstring. You know, I yeah, mean, you're yeah. reacting to people. You're not doing your own route. Um, and you have the potential of if they get into the hurry up, you know, you're not able to get off the field. So playing with a bum hamstring is really tough as a DB. So it could be a few weeks till he gets back. Um, and I trust that Kevin Steele will fix the DB situation. But, I mean, Stetson Bennett, he played pretty well, but he, he is a fourth-string quarterback, and he did not look like a fourth-string quarterback against the Auburn defense the other night. He looked like just a middle-of-the-road to below-average starting quarterback in the SEC, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think – I really don't think Stetson Bennett's that good. I just think that our defense just played so poor that it made him look really good. Uh, Kyrus Jackson just toasted the DBs all night long. And you know when you uh, to add on what you were saying when you said it's it's not fun when you're it's never good when your safety is your leading tackler. Well, the second leading tackler was Jordan Peters, who was the other safety. So our two starting safety or the the safeties that played the most the most time combined for twenty seven tackles, which is more than our two linebackers did. Uh, and that's just that that can't happen. You know that's just that that just shows that that bad things are happening. But, uh, yeah, so, the de- I mean, the defensive line just got absolutely worked all night long. I mean, there were multiple plays when the running back wasn't getting touched until he was already five yards down the field, already had a full head of steam. I mean, and people uh, – it, it was mind-boggling to me. After the game, we had people that were saying that Kevin Steele did a terrible job and that people calling for his job. I was, I was baffled at that. Because the thing is, you can't make adjustments to that. Like, you, you just can't. Because it, it wasn't necessarily that the players are in the wrong spot. It's just that they're getting overpowered. Like, you, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't stack the box to kind of try and just sell out to stop the run because they had a receiver that had 150-something yards. So, you can't – I mean, you don't want to go one-on-one coverage because the safeties had to make all the tackles. So, I mean, there was nothing – 
there was nothing that you could do defensively. And that was what was the most frustrating as a fan was that it wasn't like they were trying to trick us. It wasn't like people were just missing assignments. They were just flat out just beating us. I mean, it was there very was no motion. I mean, fan. I'm sure if if we were able to tap into Kevin Steele's headset during the game. I'm sure he could just about predict because me and you know we're sitting on the couch together and could predict run yeah. left, run right. I mean, that was really the only – I mean, that was the most difficult thing. Are they going to run the ball up the middle behind the right guard or the left guard? That was the yeah. most difficult thing. But, I mean, they were – the defensive line was just getting physically manhandled. And, you know, here on the podcast, we never want to criticize, you know, players as much – we always, you know, lean towards coaches because they are the adults. They're the ones getting paid. But at some point, I mean, the reason that something happened is because of the players on the field. And I, uh, calling for Kevin Steele's job is just moronic. If you're saying that, you're stupid. Okay? That's just – I mean, you, you don't have two eyes watching the football game if you think that that was Kevin Steele's fault. You just don't. I mean, it was pitiful. It was five to eight yards getting run back. I mean, Ben Cleveland looked like he was playing against a, you know, a book club of the third graders, you know? I mean, it looks like when your dad gets home from work and you just ride on his legs and he carries you around the house, that's what our defensive line looked like. Ben Cleveland was our daddy, and he was carrying us eight yards down the field. It was pitiful. It definitely was. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just a rough game. Uh, but that kind of, we already kind of touched on this, and uh, but one of the one of the biggest questions we had was people asking how much the absence of Smoke Monday and Jalen Simpson affected the outcome of the game. Um, we already kind of talked about how Jalen Simpson, uh, how that loss kind of hurt. But the thing with the thing with Smoke Monday, yes, it affected the game in a big way because of the energy he brings and the plays that he can make. But at the end of the day, it really wouldn't have made the difference because instead of Jordan Peters getting 13 tackles, Smoke Monday would have had 13 tackles. I yeah. mean, the, the guys may have played with a little bit more energy, but, I mean, the, we still would have gotten slashed up the middle often. But uh, And, and I on. do think, I mean, Jalen being out, you look at it, a lot of their conversions on their drive were third down passes to mm-hmm. what's his name, yeah. to uh, Jackson. Jackson. I mean, if I hear Kiaris Jackson's name one more time, I mean, there was that one time, what was it? It was like third and 24 or something. And they threw the screen, yeah. And they threw a screen to him, and he just ran it all the way. And I was just like, uh, I mean, there were so many moments where I was just like, this is so, so depressing. Um, But, yeah, I mean, clearly Smoke is an important player because Gus would not have gone full surrender Cobra in the first quarter after Smoke got kicked out of the game. Um, and speaking of, do you ever want to see your coach give the surrender Cobra when the game is in the first quarter? No, never. I mean, what kind of confidence does that give you that you're to your guys that are on the field of, hey, I believe in y'all? I mean, think about it. If you were a player out there, so one of your teammates gets kicked out of the game and your response is to go full surrender Cobra seriously that's the best you have not come on guys we got this oh that that proved to me Gus had no confidence in the defense after smoke got out um but I don't even think that Gus could have seen the manhandling that the defensive line was about to get handed to them um and then linebackers um 
KJ Britt had a tough night. Um, he's obviously struggling with an injury. I feel really bad for him. It looks like he has he keeps getting little stingers in his shoulder because every few plays it seemed like his arm went numb on him and he went to the sideline and the trainer would you know have to massage his shoulder. Um, and then in the fourth quarter there was that one play where it looked like his arms went numb on him and he like couldn't raise his arms up and big old Ben Cleveland just macked him and I felt terrible for him. I think he, you know, the trainers came out and got him after that play. Um, but he was given 110% effort the whole game um, despite his injuries. So props to KJ for giving it his all through the injuries, even though the game wasn't going well. But it was definitely a tough night for him. Yeah, I definitely agree. The uh, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily think that the effort was bad. I just thought that it was just, I mean, people were just getting beat. I mean, simple as that. I didn't I didn't see any I didn't see any plays that were that Georgia made because of a lack of effort on our side. Um, but to kind of move on, a lot of people were very frustrated at the play calling by Chad Morris and the performance of Bo Nix. Um, so throughout the entire game, I personally I do think there were some questionable play calls. I thought there were some good play calls that the players couldn't execute. Uh, but I'll let you go first with that one. What were your thoughts about the play calling and Bo Nix's play? Um, so Bo Nix, um, he didn't have his best game, but all these people have all of a sudden gotten on the, let's bench Bo Nix and play Grant Loy. And, I mean, you're just as stupid as the person that I mentioned earlier. I mean, come on now. Bo did not play that bad. He missed two passes to Schwartz. Um, that That's unfortunate, but – if if you watch football, it's hard to hit the deep ball. You know, I mean, guys in the NFL miss the deep ball. Um, so I, I wasn't too bothered by that. It'd be nice if he could hit a deep ball, you know, once a game or so. Um, and then, I mean, he didn't have much time. All these people that say, oh, he, he leaves the pocket too early. Yeah, I mean, there were a few plays that he left the pocket too early, and I agree with that. And that's definitely something that he's going to learn from. Did I think that Auburn lost the football game because Bo Nix was scramble happy? Absolutely not, because most of the time the pocket was collapsing in on him. There was one time where you could clearly tell Chad Morris has been talk, had talked to him, been like, just step up, just step up. And he steps up, and the guards both just get absolutely mauled. And he steps into a two-person yeah. sack. And that's probably why he doesn't step up in the pocket very much because if those were my offensive linemen, I don't think I'd be stepping up in the pocket either. I don't blame Bo for that. Um, something that does frustrate me, and I know that it's, you know, good intentions from Bo's part and he's trying to prevent the sack, but sometimes you got to take the sack and not do the little thing where you, you know, flip the ball out because if he doesn't – if he isn't careful, it's going to come back and bite him and they're going to rule one of those a fumble. Um, yeah. And so that, that was my biggest gripe, honestly, with Bo Nix, was the trying to flip the ball out when you're getting sacked. Uh, that's not good. You need to either decide, hey, this play's over and throw the ball away before you're, you know, wrapped up and getting tackled, or uh, just take the sack. Now, I do like if you have a player and you're flipping it to a player, that's a totally different situation than I think it was the fourth quarter where he mm -hmm. flipped it out with his left hand and uh, – Fowler and Herb Street were trying to say it was a fumble, um, mostly because Fowler was a bam and was just loving the fact that Auburn was losing. But, I mean, he's got to be careful with that. Uh, Chad Morris, uh, again, 
I didn't take exceptional issue with the play calling. The only time that I thought the play calling was exceptionally poor was the on the goal line uh, when we were running the power with Bo. I, I really didn't understand that. You obviously have a power package with J.J. Pagigs. Uh, why are you not running that or throwing the ball to Seth Williams? I mean, you don't throw the ball to Seth Williams or run the ball with your big guy or even hand the ball off. You just run yeah. really weird plays down there, and I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that too. I mean, like of all the of all the people that you want to run the ball, and it wasn't like it was like on the five where on the on the spread wide receiver. I mean, we were in we were in a normal formation on like the ten yard line, and we weren't even what we weren't running play action. We weren't running rollout, you know, an option for better run. It was a straight QB lead. And it's just like, do you do we really think that's going to work? And we ran it twice. It's like, you've got guys that are on scholarship to run the football. You've got guys that are large people that are hard to bring down that can run the football. I I just don't. I did not agree with that with that call to run Bo like a like he was Cam Newton. I mean, I, I, I mean, think Bo that has fine legs like to escape the pocket and scramble for a little bit. I mean, he's faster than. Stetson Bennett or, you know, Mettenberger or something. He's more athletic, I think, even than Joe Burrow. But he's not Johnny Manziel. He's not Cam Newton. Like, you don't set up a play to run it on the goal line with this guy. Um, I think that's a good opportunity for Wildcat, whether you want to put Tank, DJ. I don't mean, I don't know who else you want to put back there. JJ. I mean, you have tons of options. But if you're going to do the thing where you're going to run it like that, I mean, yeah. That was the only time, really, in the game, though, that I thought the play calling was just – really really bad um can you think of any other times that you were really frustrated with the play calls that was the only time when I was blatantly angry about it because I was just like I don't understand how we ever thought that this was possibly going to work but you know maybe they saw something on film that made them think I I I do not know why they thought that that would work personally but uh so and the so, next so thing, the people that are saying, well, if you're not mad at Bo and you're not mad at Chad, then who are you mad at? I mean, I think we can both agree the offensive line was almost as, if not more, poor than the defensive line. Um, I mean, they they just look terrible. But I don't know that it's a, I don't know that it's an. I mean, again, it's not an effort thing. Uh, I don't know who posted it. I saw it earlier that we had, you know, one four-star, Nick Brahms, and then everybody else was a three-star below. Um, And it showed. I mean, we looked like Mm -hmm. Kentucky used to look when they used to come to Auburn back before they, you know, got a good offensive line. Or San Diego State even. I mean, we just looked small and frail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. It it was just – it didn't – it didn't look the, – the players just didn't look good. They looked – I mean, they looked frazzled during the game. I mean, they started the game with two false start penalties in a stadium with 25% capacity. Like, come on, man. Like Off cough. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to just I, – I don't know what it was. I think that the, the offensive line just – they got to get better. Big Nail has got, got to develop them because we all – I mean, Grimes never could make his offensive line play better throughout the year. Big Nail has to do that. That is yeah. the only thing. If the, the season – we can still win some games. We can still be a good football team, and we can still beat good teams if the offensive line plays well. But if the offensive line plays consistently like they did against Georgia – we're going to have a really, really tough season. That offensive line unit is going to have to step it up and play the best football they've ever played if we want to have a good season this year. Simple yeah. as that. 
And I, I mean, I have not totally thrown away the season like a lot of Auburn fans have um, no, for the mere fact of it was. I mean, they got punched in the mouth. Georgia got up early. They weren't expecting the crowd to be as loud as they were, I don't think. Um, they weren't expecting Georgia to be as physical as they were. I just really think they got taken back, and by the time they recovered mentally, it's 24-0 or 24-3 at halftime. Um, and then you come out and you settle for a field goal, and after that, I mean, it's over. Um, so I, I, I don't think that Auburn played – I don't think that this is the Auburn team. I don't think we need to think this is the Auburn team we're going to have to watch all season. I think it's somewhere in between the Kentucky and the Georgia game without getting improvement. But, I, I mean, I think they really just got punched in the mouth. And the middle side of football is a big part of football, you know. I mean, the momentum gets going in one direction. It's hard to get it to go the other way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we just got – like you said, we got hit in the mouth. And we'll see We'll see how the team how the team adjusts. But uh, the last, the last kind of question that I saw a lot – and this is something that's kind of been in the back of my mind. It kind of started the, – the thought kind of started last year, but I had a couple people bring it up uh, in the hundreds of DMs that I answered this week. Um, with how the wide receivers were playing, you know, you had Chedrick Jackson had a big drop on third down. Uh, even Seth Williams, he, you know, he had some really, really good catches, but he also had that drop touchdown that was uncharacteristic of him. Um, and our wide receivers just haven't really seemed like they were – big playmakers recently like they used to be uh would you do you think that that is on what do you think that's on do you think that's on the wide receiver play do you think that's on wide receiver coach Cody Burns do you think that's just the offensive system what do you think what do you think is the reason for the the lackluster wide receiver play uh because really with the exception of Seth Williams the wide receivers are incredibly inconsistent yeah um I think part of it is you have a former track athlete playing receiver. Um, so his hands are probably not going to be the best, but he honestly didn't get a chance to catch the pass. So in all fairness to Anthony, he didn't have drops. Um, he got overthrown on his two passes. So, I mean, so think about really what Cody Burns job is. So as a college receivers coach, is your job really to teach someone how to catch the football? I mean, maybe a little bit, but it seems like that's kind of self-explanatory. You know, I mean, you run through the jug drills. It's probably the same thing they've been hearing through high school. So, I mean, I don't think there's, like, a lot of technique that you're laying down on pass catching when you're in college. So, guys that are dropping passes, I mean, is that really Cody's fault? I mean, I'm leaning towards no on that. You know, that's more yeah. natural talent. Cody's job is to develop route running. I mean, that's basically what you do as a college. I mean, that's the difference in a college receiver, an NFL receiver, and a high school receiver is, you know, who can run the best routes and who can get open. Um, the routes, it's hard to tell, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. Bo's getting flushed out of the pocket, so then you do a scramble drill. So would they have been open if there was, you know, three seconds in the pocket? Who knows? Um do I think that Chad and Cody need to start, you know, maybe developing some route trees that are a little bit quicker developing? Yeah. I mean, I think that they should. Um, does Cody probably get to make that decision? I'm sure he has a little bit of input, but probably not a ton. Um, but think about it. I mean, Shedrick was open. He dropped the pass. 
Is that yeah. Cody's fault? No. Cody, you know, got him in a position to be open. Um, Seth Williams dropped the touchdown pass. But was he there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, ball gets overthrown. But was he open? Yeah. So, I mean, is that Cody's fault that these guys are dropping passes and that the O-line can't hold up enough that the guys can run their routes? I mean, it's not like we're seeing a bunch of coverage sacks. We're both sitting in the pocket for five minutes and, well, DB's got them all covered, you know? Yeah. So, I, I'm not ready to burn the bridge on Cody Burns. I think, you know, blaming a coach every time a receiver drops a pass, it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, they don't practice catching in practice. Um, I'm sure they practice catching in practice, whether they catch the pass or drop the pass. Like, you're at practice for – 20-something hours a week, I'm sure they throw the passes. I'm sure they go through jug drills. And whether they catch it or not is up to the receiver. So, no, I'm not ready to pull the plug on Cody. Um, He's bringing in good talent. Um, We saw that with our latest uh, signee. No, what's his name? Uh, Malcolm Johnson. Malcolm Johnson. He came in, he had a catch. So, I mean, Seth Williams last week, all SEC performer, everybody's like, oh, first-round draft pick. The next week we lose the game and everybody says, let's fire the receivers coach. Well, he has, he's, he's developed probably the first, first round receiver in Auburn for a while. So I, I, we don't need to fire everybody. You, you don't just fire everybody because of one bad game. Um, now, if anybody, you know, I'm sure that the fire Gus train is going to get fired up pretty soon. Um, and, every, you know, that post goes around on Twitter and Instagram again where it's, you know, well, Gus is three and four versus Bammer and two and seven versus Georgia and all this stuff. And, yes, that's all true. But I there's no point in getting all riled up about firing Gus because I don't know if y'all have noticed the athletic department's hurting for money right now. They're asking for people to give donations of their tickets. So if you legitimately think that the athletic department is going to fire Gus, then keep on – you can post that on social media. I don't love Gus. I don't think that, you know, he's the long-term answer to get Auburn on the same level as Alabama and Clemson. But do I think that Gus is getting fired? Absolutely not. I don't – I think Gus could lose every single game for the rest of the season and would not get fired just because the athletic department literally does not have the money to fire him. And, I mean, if you do fire him – do a lot of people feel great about giving their donation? You know, like, oh, I didn't get to go to the games. I donated you money to help these college kids get their scholarship, but instead you're going to use it on a $60 million buyout? No. I mean, the optics of it are too terrible during a pandemic year. So Gus is safe. If you want to whine and complain and post that on social media, you can, but it's just going to make me frustrated that I have to be reminded that Gus has lost all these games. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think anybody or I don't think anybody thinks that Gus is a great coach. No, he is. Um, he's they, 0 and 11 on the road against our three biggest rivals, and that's yeah. pitiful. It is pitiful. But we should have fired him before the pandemic cuz now we're stuck with him. In my opinion, I, I think, you know, and I I've I've had to I've had to to make this statement quite a few times over the week past weekend. Gus Malzahn played his cards perfectly at the end of the 2017 season when Arkansas fired Bielema and they needed a coach. You know, Gus was the hometown guy. 
the fans loved him. The fans wanted Gus Malzahn to be the head coach of Arkansas. So Arkansas made that push. Gus Malzahn has just finished. He just beat Georgia and Alabama when they were the number one overall team in the country. Won 10 games and then had a disappointing SEC championship, but it was due to injuries. So it was just kind of like Auburn was kind of in a position where we didn't really know what to do. And he held us hostage. He was like, look, I'm going to go to Arkansas unless you guys give me a big extension, lots of money. And we folded, gave him a $7 million seven-year, $49 million extension. And I, I'm never in favor of having an extension that long. Like, I, I, I will never be okay with that. I mean, look at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. They gave him a 10-year contract, and Texas A&M hasn't gotten better since they hired him. And they won't get better because it's just not going to work. And they're stuck with him for seven years, and they have a huge buyout. They can't get rid of him. That's the same thing with us. We gave him a huge extension when he didn't deserve it. That's the thing. You can't be giving coaches seven-year extensions. But on the other hand, you know, Arkansas went and hired Chad Morris, which is who Auburn would have hired. If Gus Malzahn had gone to Arkansas, Chad Morris would have been the head coach at Auburn starting in 2018. Would the fans have liked that? Probably not, because seeing as how it went in Arkansas, I don't think it was a great situation. But I don't think he would have come to Auburn and started winning national championships. So Chad Morris was the guy we would have hired. You know, uh, it, I don't think that Auburn is going to make this. When Gus Malzahn is gone, I don't think Auburn will make the splash that the fan base wants. Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops, that they're not coming to Auburn, guys. They're, they're not. We're not going to hire Dabo Sweeney either. Like, you, you got to have a realistic expectation of who you're going to get. I mean, I've been talking to people, you know, getting cue freeze. You know, there, there are some things where it's like, yeah, they did some good things, but at the end of the day, how much have they done that Gus hasn't done? There aren't many coaches that have been to a national championship. There aren't many coaches that have beaten Alabama as much as Gus has. There aren't many coaches that have done what Gus Malzahn has done with the cards he has and the conference he has. I'm not saying that Gus Malzahn is a great coach, but I'm just saying there are not many guys in his situation that would have done light years better. So, in my opinion, I would like it if after every game – the fan base didn't want to fire somebody, didn't want to bench somebody. I'm hearing people say, start Grant Lloyd, give Kalen Newton reps at quarterback. Like, it no, man. great throwing the two-point conversion. Exactly. I mean, you've got – I mean, he, you know, I, I, no disrespect to him whatsoever, but he was at Bowling Green. Kalen Newton was at Howard. Like, Bo Nix was a – Bo Nix was a big-time quarterback. Ohio State wanted him. Clemson wanted him. Alabama wanted him. Auburn wanted him. He went to Auburn. Like, we have players that are here that were – that other people wanted. Did the, starting a backup – is not always the answer there are sometimes when the backup needs to come in and because the starter's not doing well and the backup has talent but it, every single time when a loss happens you don't always have to bench somebody or fire somebody or do whatever so that's just that's just my opinion but uh he more didn't he throw more interceptions than touchdowns at bowling green he did okay so people seriously are are saying this and you you seriously want someone who played at Bowling Green and threw more interceptions than touchdowns. Seriously? Bo Nix had the second longest streak with no interceptions and probably would have continued if he didn't care about, you know, winning so much that he just threw something up on a fourth down. You know, I mean, he could have easily just padded his stat line and thrown it a safer play, but he was trying to win the football game. No. Yeah. Well, that's Bo the thing. Like that you need to chill out. Everybody – the whole team, the whole team except for Tank Bigsby and JJ had a terrible game. Okay, we don't need to fire someone. 
it was a bad day. So, I mean, we can start looking at shuffling. Now, some people can be shuffled. So, here's the thing. Talking about shuffling the offensive line makes sense because they still – I mean, they weren't sure about the five starters coming into the season, which That's means right. that the guy behind them is about the same talent level and, you know, it maybe could have a good week one week. That makes sense. Talking about shuffling the DBs around, you know, trying to get in better matchups. Maybe makes a little bit of sense. But trying to bench Bonex, that's the same kind of moron that was saying it was Kevin Steele's fault. Sometimes you just get whipped. And it's, you know, that's just what and it, it is. sucks. It sucks. Nobody likes, get, nobody likes getting whipped. Nobody likes losing, you know. Uh, trust me, me and Weather are not saying, oh, well, we're okay with losing because, you know, we just got beat fair and square. No, we're not happy about losing. We were angry on Saturday night just like everyone else was. But the thing is – So it was Bo Nix, by the way. Exactly. I don't know if y'all were exactly. watching the broadcast. He wasn't very happy. Exactly. And, like, on that interception, like, look, it was a four, It was fourth and 12. Nobody's open. He's flushed out of the pocket. And instead of just taking a sack or throwing it away like uh, a former quarterback at Auburn that will not be named would have done and then gone to the sideline and started laughing about it. But the thing Jarrett, is, Bo who, was like, by the way, is not starting tonight against the Patriots, got beat out by Brian Hoyer. Just saying. Anyway. But the thing is, Bo was trying to force something because he knew there was no other option, and he threw a pick because he doesn't care about stats. He doesn't care about his perception. All he cares about is winning because he loves Auburn, and that's the kind of guy that I want playing quarterback for my team. But with all that being said, we've got Arkansas next week. We will have another podcast later this week kind of breaking down that matchup and all that. We just kind of wanted to have this one just to talk about uh, the Georgia game. But kind of move to the recruiting, the, just a little quick recruiting update. Uh, the two, two huge, huge Auburn targets have announced their commitment dates. We've got four-star edge rusher Jeremiah Williams. He will announce his commitment on October 10th. His final four is currently Auburn, Florida, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Auburn has been – I mean, he's been – you know, Auburn's been with this guy for a long time. We really want him. Uh, I believe on either Saturday or Sunday, a Florida insider, Florida was considered the the uh, kind of like the second the second school. Auburn has been the leader for a little bit, but Florida's been right there with us. But uh, a couple of days ago, a Florida insider entered a crystal ball to Auburn, so that's a good sign for us. Uh, this guy is a big get, having another four star on that D line, big get for Rodney Garner and the gang. Um, but also, he is also good friends with. Uh, Kaquinsky Kool-Aid McKinstry, that's his uh, nickname, Kool-Aid. Uh, he's the top cornerback in the country debating between LSU, Alabama, and Auburn. He has announced a commitment date for October 25th. So it would be huge if we could get Jeremiah Williams in the class and he's got, you know, two weeks to kind of get his buddy Kool-Aid kind of trying to get him to Auburn. Uh, but the big thing with Kool-Aid is he wants to play, uh, he wants to play football and basketball. So, it's kind of looking like it's between Auburn and Alabama right now. Alabama had a big get with J.D. Davison for basketball. Nate Oates is doing good on the recruiting trail. This would be a huge, huge get if we could land a five-star over Alabama and LSU. That would be huge for the program. We, that, that's, a, that's a big get. So, keep your eyes out. You know, have the October 25th marked on your calendar. That will be a big day uh, for Auburn recruiting. So, with all that being said, Weather, is there anything you want to add? Yeah. The other thing, the 
the the Bo Nix situation is not going to get any better this week. I don't know if people have noticed the weather report that's coming in for Saturday, um, but Hurricane Delta will be hitting Auburn probably on Saturday around game time. Um, it's projected to be a tropical storm by the time it hits, and they're predicting over an inch of rain and 25 to 35 mile an hour winds during the game. So that's something to watch out for. We'll be doing a pregame uh, podcast later in the week to kind of preview the Arkansas game, but that's an early thing that everybody should be watching out for um, this week to see if the O-line's able to get the run blocking figured out against Arkansas in some nasty, nasty weather. But, yeah, so we're excited. You know, got to bounce back from the loss against Georgia, have an Arkansas team that's hot. You know, we're coming in for that, and we're excited to see how the team reacts throughout the week and if we can get the win on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, so that's how we're, how we're kind of thinking. Uh, thank you guys for all of the, the DMs and the questions. You know, I, you know, I love talking to you all. It's, you know, I love doing it. So uh, that's, that's kind of how, how we're feeling about the, the game and all that. So we will see you guys later in the week and War Eagle. War Eagle.